0: Hey everybody, hey everybody. We got an amazing episode for you today. Adina Heffitz is with us. She is the founder of Divi Homes, and she talks about how she is helping people go from renters to home buyers. And we talk about the entire real estate market and how it's changing in 2021 and how crazy it's been post-pandemic, during the pandemic. And this is all part of the next unicorn season number three. Yes, you remember the first two seasons of the next unicorns. This is where we look for companies that are over $100 million in valuation up to maybe 500 million. And we introduce you to the companies we think my research team thinks will become the next unicorns that will go public that you'll be talking about, let's say in 2025 2024. So we like to look in our crystal ball and say, Hey, Does this company have the ability to get to hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue, and eventually billions of dollars in revenue. So we're kicking off our first season with this amazing episode about Divi Homes. It's a really, really interesting company. I'm in love with real estate. And I love this model of letting people rent to own part of your rent goes towards a down payment, really clever idea. And we need more ideas like this so that people here in America can go from renters to homeowners, which becomes a beautiful way for people to move up into the next strata, the next stage in life where they can have wealth accumulate and we have more economic uh, equality here in the United States. If you want to see previous seasons of our next unicorn series and track this one, you can go to thisweekinstartups.com slash unicorns. Okay. Let's get to it. Stick with us.
1: Season three of The Next Unicorns is brought to you by Odoo is a fully customizable and fully integrated suite of business apps that lets you build and scale your stack as you build and scale your business. Your first app is free forever. And right now, Odoo is offering $1,000 off your first implementation pack at odoo.com slash twist. That's ODOO.com slash twist. Drata. Don't let requests for SOC 2 compliance reports slow down your business. Use Drata to stay ahead of the curve. Go to drata.com slash twist for 15% off. And LinkedIn jobs. A business is only as strong as its people, and every hire matters. Post your first job free at LinkedIn.com slash unicorn. Adina Heffetz is with us. She is the founder and CEO of Divi.
0: Uh Divi Homes is a on-ramp to home ownership where people can rent and then eventually own. Users pay, I think, one to two percent up front. Divi pays the rest. And then the person pays Divi a monthly rent and puts aside like of that towards the savings that could be used for the future purchase of the home. What a brilliant idea. Adina, welcome to the program. Did I get that right? The description of basically what you're doing?
2: Better than I can, Jason. Thank you for having me here.
0: Okay. So um, how did you come up with this idea? And then how many homes have you bought on behalf of your renters?
2: Sure. Yeah. So when I came up with the idea for Divi, it was really based on a couple of things. Personal experience and then understanding the market. Uh, from the market side, let's start with that. Um, I saw that we had just made it out of the global financial crisis. If you looked at the rates of home ownership, they were at all time lows. And I thought, you know, people can't get mortgages. There has to be another option that we can offer them. And so wanted to figure out a way in which people could buy into the equity of homes, uh, without taking on a massive amount of risk from a credit lending perspective. And so making them into a renter, letting them buy into the equity sharing in the appreciation, um, seemed to, seemed to be a good idea as a way to start. And then more on the personal side, um, my my parents, myself, m- I I couldn't get a mortgage. My dad, when he had immigrated to the US, couldn't get a mortgage. Um, him and my mom had actually just gotten married, just got pregnant and they were looking for a house, couldn't find one. Um and and then ultimately they found a lovely woman who's willing to give them seller financing on a home. And that house became my family's sole source of savings and wealth and Eventually, my dad had a credit score, refinanced that house with a mortgage and was able to take cash out and use that to pay for, for me and my three siblings to go to college. So from a personal perspective, yeah, yeah personal perspective, I, I I get the value of homeownership. And then from a business perspective, I think the market uh, was, was pretty um, in an interesting and unique spot to actually disrupt it.
0: Great. And so when did you start the company? And then how many homes uh, have been bought this way?
2: So we founded it in 2017, and then started purchasing homes in 2018. We don't publicly re- publicly release how many homes we we've purchased, but Ballpark. I will say there dozens,
0: are hundreds,
2: thousands, thousands. <laughs> thousands. Okay, that
0: was my next uh, thousands, <laughs>
2: thousands of homes. Yeah.
0: Wow, thousands of homes. Now, is there a certain uh, value of homes and an ideal customer profile here? Because if I remember correctly, you. Uh, brought up the great financial crisis which was in fact caused by people who maybe traditionally shouldn't have had a home buying a home and here you are saying we're going to help people who traditionally wouldn't get a home and buy a home <laughs> so how is it different than what got us in trouble last time
2: that's a great question well to your first your first question is we we serve 16 markets we are not in san francisco or new york i always joke we're not solving for uh, the problems of of the coastal cities and the Bay Area folks, but instead for middle America. Elites. You're not yes, here to exactly. solve coastal elites
0: and NIMBY madness. Got it. We're we
2: solving the problem for the rest of America. So our markets are Dallas, Civilians. Houston, yeah. Atlanta. Yes. Um, and our average home price today, it varies by market. So someplace like Dallas, where maybe $350,000 home. Oh. Um, Some place like Cleveland will be $150,000, but it averages to call it around $250,000. Uh, and in terms of your 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 more provocative question, which I I very much enjoy, we actually when we first fundraise, uh we got this question where someone asked if we're the new subprime, <laughs> which I think kind of got to your question. Uh, so I mean, so, I kind
0: of know the answer, but I'm asking on behalf of the audience. Yeah, kind of like.
2: Yeah. Yes, I understand. So, <laughs> so just to give you the audience a little bit of context, um, for the 20 years before the global financial crisis, underwriting requirements were much looser than they had been in previous, uh, times. That's why when you think your parents got a starter home really easily, that's because they did. And it is much harder for you to get a mortgage today than it was for them to get one 20 years ago. That obviously led to the global financial crisis. Underwriting tightened and get became very restrictive after that. So the average FICO that you needed to actually Get a home went from somewhere on average around 700 up to about a 740 FICO, right? And so all of a sudden there's, there's a ton of people who maybe can access homeownership. Now the difference between Divi and what had happened during the global financial crisis is during the global financial crisis, you were extended debt. You were given Mm -hmm. credit, a mortgage. Divi is very different. There is no debt. I'm not lending you anything. You are a pure renter in the home, which is what you would have been. If you weren't owning anyway, right? You're an owner, or you're a renter. It's one or the other. So you're you're a renter and you're not actually an owner and you're just buying into the equity of the property. That is pure savings. That is not debt. Those savings are the same way that you can save and put your money into the S&P, into a 401k, into other things that compound and appreciate over time. So the difference is we are not lending to our consumers and instead we are basically a four savings mechanism in an asset that appreciates and compounds their wealth over time.
0: And you're, if I, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, just to bring up Nassim Taleb, you have the skin in the game, you mm-hmm. are buying these homes yourself, so you are on the hook for the home, as opposed to in the financial crisis where you had these uh financial instruments and sharky, you know, low moral uh character people signing up. Uh, let's face it, first-time home buyers who maybe weren't as educated as they needed to be in signing what doc and depending on what documents they signed, they didn't know what they were signing and putting them into instruments they should never have been in, but they didn't care because they were just getting the commission and they were done.
2: Yes. If you were yeah. to do
0: something like that, you're the bag holder.
2: And yes, we are fully the bag holder. So we're buying the homes. The the risk the assets are being purchased fully by Divi. We have we buy them with part equity and part debt. We are responsible ultimately for that debt. The renter that we're putting into the house is purely just a, a renter that's building equity in a synthetic equity account in a ledger, right? Mm. Um, and so so we are the ultimate owner of the house and we are on the hook for all the homes that we do purchase.
0: All right. So we had this scenario of the $350,000 home in Dallas, 30-year mortgage, 3% APR, monthly payment would be $1,264. Now twelve sixty five for that. What do you charge people then um, if they didn't have to put a down payment down? Right, they're not putting a down payment down. You put the down payment down. So then, what would the rent be on a house like that if we took sure. this prototypical one that you outlined?
2: So uh, I'm going to use easier numbers than your twelve sixty four and just say let's say on average we're we're in an area where rent is roughly a thousand dollars a month. Got it. For a house where you're paying rent of about a thousand dollars a month, roughly your mortgage payments, let's say, are. I don't know, $700 a month or something like that. Now, on top of that, you need to pay. That would your be
0: like a 150K house. I'm just guessing. Uh, yes, exactly. 200K house, yeah. yeah.
2: And uh, I'd say more like 150. Um, Got it. But on top of that, $700, you'd have to pay maintenance, taxes, and insurance, right? Which a landlord typically covers completely for you. So let's say that $700 is now maybe $850, right? Mm. $850 a month versus the $1,000 to rent. The delta between that is how much your landlord typically makes, right? That is their. I mean, they have to pay out, right, interest and other things like that. So, but there's some spread there, right? So Divi would charge you that $1,000 a month. But then on top of it, we add in a savings portion, which might be something like $250 a month. So Got instead it. of paying $1,000, you are paying 1250 But the equity portion is actually your savings. That gets invested in the house. And as the house appreciates, you own a percentage of the house. So your savings also appreciates with the house.
0: How much time and money do you spend integrating a bunch of different software products together? Let me guess, way too much. Well, Odoo is here to help. Odoo is a suite of business apps that runs your entire company on one platform. They'll streamline your workflow to bring all that information together. Plus, Odoo's integrations eliminate repetitive tasks and data entry. If you only need two or three apps to optimize your workflow, well, that's all you're going to pay for Odoo won't stick you with the bill for apps you don't use. And Odoo has an app for every business need. They offer 30 main apps that are updated regularly and over 16,000 apps from their active open source community. You can keep your books tight with their financial software. You can add their sales and CRM apps to help provide a clear and organized view of how you're doing as a team. And here's your simple call to action your first app is free forever. And right now, Odoo is offering a $1,000 credit on your first implementation pack. That's not a joke. $1,000 off. Go to odoo.com slash twist to check it out. Odoo.com slash twist. So you worked at TPG, I know, and uh, previously, and you are a student of unit economics. Mm-hmm. So when we look at this, the cost of the house being eight fifty, dollars if I was the owner and I was renting it, maybe I charge you 1000 1100. So I can make my whatever amount per year, make a tiny Mm -hmm. profit. Um, It's not a great business to be in, obviously, you now are having them save 250. So where do you make money from that 250 is theirs? Yeah, you're making the 150 250 bucks that the landlord would normally make? That's your business or is your business that the house appreciates and you get the gain on the appreciation of the house? I'm just guessing here.
2: Yeah, so so uh, we make the money off the rent the same way the landlord would, hmm. would, but our bet is that because typical landlords end up having a ton of turnover. So when you are an average renter, no one takes a rental car, the car wash, you tend to destroy those rental properties. You ah. turn over every 12 months. So our bet is I can charge you the same rent as a landlord. I can make the small profit along the way. I sell back to you. We make a, a small amount of money off the buyback, but most of it is just the rental income, but we actually can make a larger margin because you're staying in the house for longer. You're not turning over, and you're Got treating it. the home better because you actually care about it.
0: The owners act like owners. You're basically, exactly. in a way, teaching people to be owners, and and exactly. that is the American dream. Is one of the things that have made America an amazing country for immigrants like your parents is if they get into the home buyer sh- ownership, like sixty odd percent of Americans have. Boy, does it help you move up from one, uh, you know, class to another, one, you know, uh, strata to another. So. Now let's look at the appreciation of the house. It's 150k house in Atlanta and uh, Atlanta gets hot and it becomes hotlanta and now it's a (laughs) 300k home, you know, just five years later because everybody wants to leave the dystopian society known as San Francisco. Now you rented somebody for 150 now it's worth 300. They've been paying 250 a month. They've got whatever it is, 3000 equity in the house, maybe 10,000 equity house. Now, who gets that jump from 150 to 300? When I go to buy the house, am I buying the 150k house? Am I buying the 300k house and that 150? Do I get some percentage of that? If I own five percent of my house, does my five percent now become worth twice as much?
2: Yeah, so so we preset the we call it the buyback price, so it's the price ah. at which you can buy the house back. We set it at the beginning, so every oh. single payment is set in a contract before we even put the offer down. Whoa. You get that contract. You review it. Everything is preset. So if you don't feel comfortable with it, there's there's no moving forward. What, what do you set it
0: on the hundred fifty house? What would you preset it at one seventy five?
2: So probably for our folks, just easier to stick with. If it's a hundred thousand dollar house, generally we appreciate about three percent a year. So you can look at it; it would be about one hundred ten thousand dollars after three years. So that's Got the buyback oh, price. That's so you can smart. buy back at the halfway point for one hundred five thousand. Got so it. It's, so it's you it's build that into the amount. model
0: that it's going to appreciate a little bit. So.
2: They get now, the upside if it appreciates more.
0: But that's actually what's been happening in the country. So let's get into modern day. You put people into houses in 2019 in Atlanta and in Dallas, and they have, correct me if I'm wrong, gone up at least 50%.
2: They have a call option that's in the money for them. Yes. yes. Which in do. plain
0: English, for people who don't understand, means what?
2: <laughs> it means that the house is now worth more than what they have the right to buy it back at. So theoretically, even you know, if they don't want the house... That $100,000 house is now worth $150,000. They have a right to buy it at $110,000. They should buy it. They can sell it the next day and make a $40,000 spread. That is their right. And that's what we want. Now, truthfully, though, Jason, like our customers are not thinking about an arbitrage game here. That is not how it works. And no one thinks about their home in that way. I mean, you're at your house now. Also, I assume your house has now become your your children's source of school during COVID, your office. (laughs) right? It's like family center. And so the way that you're thinking about it is I want to make a sound financial decision. And I want a place to raise my family and feel safe. Right. And so our customers are not using Divi as a way to hedge the market. Mm, Not yet.
0: Not yet. But I mean, if you do (laughs) your job, if you do your job, and you taught them how to be an owner, correct me if I'm wrong, they're going to say, Hey, wait, I'm an owner, I have $40,000 in profits here, I could you know, moved an hour outside of Hotlanta to the next hot place, you know, somewhere
2: outside of Nashville for a hundred K and I could do it again. As I hope they will. That is it. That is the dream. We are trying wow. to create wealth. That is the point of this. But
0: all and you get is the 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 landlord's f- spread? Is there some other secret to this business that I'm
2: missing? Well, that's our core business. And so God. the landlord's spread when you get make that every month consistently for three years is the average term of our lease right? That's a nice annuity of cash, right? It's cash flow that mm. comes in. And once someone's in the house, and they're fairly stable in that house, there doesn't tend to have to be a ton of work that needs to go into it. Once you mm. have a, a tenant who's happy, any maintenance stuff might come up. But generally, we know that's, that's super seasonal. So ACs are going to go out right around this time of year where they're starting to use them again, right? And we know that heaters are going to go out probably in the fall, right? And so we know these timings. But outside of that, it tends to be very little work. And so you're sitting on an annuity, a cash flow stream, which is how we make the majority of our profit. Now, that's our core business. As you can imagine, we're constantly thinking about how we could expand. Hmm. Most of our expansion into new services is actually not for the profit. I actually want to be very transparent about that. It's actually because we just want a better customer experience. So for example, today a customer comes, Jason, you go to our website, you apply and we say, Jason, you're approved for a $350,000 house in Dallas. Go out shopping with your realtor. You go, Adina, I don't have a realtor. Who should I go out shopping with? Historically, mm. we'd introduce you to a Keller Williams agent or a Century 21 right. or Compass or someone else, right? One of our, just someone in our network that didn't work for Divi. You guys go out shopping and you say, you know, what happens when I actually want to buy back the house? What price do I pay? And that agent's like, I have no clue. We have to call Divi, right? And that creates a pretty friction filled uh, customer experience for you. And so our goal is we're going to actually start to do things like build out a Divi brokerage. Now, the goal of the brokerage, obviously we get a commission. Right and financially, there's a benefit to that. However, the real goal of is goal of it is that it creates a more seamless customer experience, helps drive up conversion. Got so it. the the largest single family landlord in America is a company called Invitation Homes. Uh, they own eighty thousand homes. They're a twenty billion dollar enterprise value company. So the the industry. I know you're thinking this is the margin you make, but when you sit on a series of cash flows across what's even tens of thousands of homes it ends up being a pretty profitable and and large business
0: and i take it without giving that blackstone owned entity a hard time but blackstone also owns the uh you know sea world uh, let's just say these folks are not doing it for charity or the you know they might not have as charming of a origin story as you do uh, they're in it for the money yes period so are they Let's leave them out so you don't have to badmouth the competitor. But is that category of folks um, more sharky in the sense that they're going to be more cutthroat about the cost of the rent, et cetera?
2: So I'd say there's a couple of things. Um, One, most of those competitors have actually bought portfolios of homes. Mm -hmm. And so they bought these massive amounts of foreclosure homes during the crisis. And as you can imagine, foreclosure homes that are sitting there without someone living in them can get run down more quickly than someone that has an Mm -hmm. actual tenant in So I'd say quality of the portfolio is a bit lower, a lot lower than what it is for Divi, where our customers go out, they find the best home, the home that they want to raise their kids in. So overall, the quality of our portfolio is better, which means that our tenants are getting a better experience. They're getting a better home Mm, than they would have You're skimming the cream of the
0: best owners.
2: Well, not only that, they're picking out the home. You're picking out what home you want. You're not. Right. And, and and for sale inventory is always better than rental inventory. Rental inventory mm-hmm. is just run down, right? Yes. Um, And so I think that the customers get a better experience because they get to pick out the home. The home quality is better. Um, We try our best to be, you know, really forward thinking around things like you don't have to worry about paying rent every month. It gets automatically pulled if you opt in from your bank account. You get an email that notifies you and a text that notifies you, hey, your rent has been paid. I mean, I even think about my own experience in San Francisco before I was a homeowner. I used to have to log on to my bank account and wire every month to mm. my landlord, right? We want to take away all the friction and just make this a really beautiful experience that helps guide people through the path into homeownership.
0: Makes total sense. Except your competitors are getting all that appreciation of the homes and you're not.
2: They are so we're sharing in that appreciation with our our tenants who are in the house for sure.
0: We get the three percent, so I guess we
2: do get the three <laughs> percent. Yeah.
0: So and I guess I'm trying to think historically what has historically the last twenty years looked like? Is it three percent in the markets you're in? N-
2: no, they've appreciated much more. In fact, right yeah. now I think average price home prices were up, call it fifteen to twenty percent year over mm. year right now. And it's so crazy we, right now. we're giving a ton of that upside to the customer, but that's okay, right? Mm-hmm. Our view is that if you can create a portfolio where you treat the customer right, you give them access to this, our customers end up turning over at a lower frequency, we end up cash flowing better, they take better care of the home with lower maintenance, and ultimately our profit margin from what we can get from rental income ends up going up because we have to spend less on turns. Uh, so basically, if someone if a customer leaves the house, basically filling that house with another rental tenant, um, and we have to spend less on maintenance. And so far that bet has held very true. We make um, a better profit margin than any single family read out there because this bet is actually holding true.
0: In today's startup landscape, committing to security and compliance is vital for growth, and proof of your company's security posture has never been more important. As you scale, you might start to receive more SOC 2 requests from customers, and that's where Drata comes in. Drata is an advanced automation platform used by some of the world's leading chief information security officers, or CISOs. Drata will help you successfully meet requirements, support enterprise deal flow, and continually track compliance. Drata also also helps customers easily prepare for and clear SOC 2 and other audits, so you can go from zero to audit ready in a matter of weeks. Need more? Take it from Philip Martin, Chief Security Officer at Coinbase, and here's his quote. It became clear to me right away that Drata is an engineering powerhouse. The solution they've developed is well ahead of other market players. Their approach to deep native integrations provides users with the most advanced automation available. So check out Drata's five-star reviews on G2 and see why companies like ClearCo, Smart Recruiter, and the Good Face Project work with Drata for their compliance needs. Twist listeners can get fifteen percent off and waived implementation fees at drata.com/twist. D-r-a-t-a.com/twist. How do you buy all these homes? Because if you have thousands of homes at you know 350k or 250k we're we're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars and billions of dollars How, how do you do that you're not doing that with venture dollars obviously so are you just doing REITs and then letting people buy every year 100 homes in different cities how do you mechanically do that
2: yeah. So it's interesting, Jason, when I found Adivia, I was like, okay, well, let's say we're buying $200,000 homes. Let's just get to the first hundred homes. And I was like, I don't know, $20 million. We, we can do that. Right. Yeah. Now are I'm doing the math and I'm like, Oh God, it's like $20 yeah. billion. Dollars. <laughs> How yeah. do you get that much capital in order yeah. to do this? Um, and so the way we finance it is we, we raise debt facilities. Um, so essentially mm-hmm. a very simple way to put that is we go out and we, we basically get like a credit card that has a pretty, except it's not a $20,000 limit. It's like a, 200 million dollar limit and as we buy the houses we draw down on the debt from this credit card and we pay interest against it um so that's how we're funding the purchase of these homes uh today we're actually setting up so that's kind of the first and then the rent pays
0: off the mortgages
2: exactly the interest exactly interest interest expense now there's a second way that we're financing homes um which is um definitely kind of a, a newer trend in the market where essentially um, everyone talks about like prop co op co fund structures, it's it's not exactly a fund structure, but essentially someone else owns the equity in the property, they get their own debt against it, and we get servicing and origination fees. So we get paid a fee for actually acquiring the home putting a tenant in it. The customer knows no difference, whether it's Divi's debt or this owning to a third party. Um, It looks absolutely the same to them, but it allows us to buy more homes more rapidly. Why? Because like you said, we're a startup every time we want a new credit card i'm gonna call but it's really a warehouse facility we have to go out and we have to raise those and so it's much easier when we're having rapid scaling to be able to have a partner who has deeper pockets who can just say you guys need a billion dollars here you go right that's pretty easy and to our employees also one thing i want to emphasize to our employees our customers it looks no different and Mm -hmm. it's treated no different in fact our employees don't even know who owns which house um when uh, are we in a real estate bubble
0: right now We're in an inventory shortage. We have a shortage, okay. But houses have appreciated 15% in three months, 50% year over year in some market. Are we in a bubble?
2: So I think that there's a difference between a bubble versus uh, fundamental supply and demand. So Uh, what happened in 2000, well, what happened in 2009 was the government did a mass amount of foreclosures and flooded the supply when demand was staying constant. Mm. Increased supply, demand stays constant, means prices are going to drop, right? Right. Today, we actually have quite the opposite. And what's actually so interesting, Jason, is, you know, I've raised uh, several, four rounds of capital at this point. Every investor, when I was raising every venture capitalist asked me, mm. they said, what happens if home prices decline, right? What What is Divi going to do? Not one venture capitalist asked me, what do you do when home prices skyrocket mm. and inventory? becomes tighter and so that's just a lesson in the unknown unknowns which is yeah.
0: to, you know or no one... just how the venture mind thinks right there's exactly. some th- they're like i have a chance to ask the founder a question i should ask them about what happens if the titanic hits an iceberg because exactly. it's actually not as much about and i know you spent some time in venture it's not as much about they actually care about the answer to that question as they care about how thoughtful you are in answering it
2: yes uh, yes and i understand that i think I that, mean the answer uh,
0: for you would be well if you're raising the price three percent and the home's gone down 20 percent in value now the person's underwater and they're demotivated but you can always correct that right
2: well in those situations when well, we're sitting on a cash flow stream so we make enough profit that we can sustain some hit yeah. in, in price so we can basically sustain call it a 15 percent hit in prices and still break even on the property sure. and we're fine um and then in that case where the customers underwater, we'd extend their lease we'd let them stay in the house longer build more yeah. equity and then buy back the house when the time is right.
0: These are um, not 20 getting- million these are not 20 30 million dollar houses that people overpaid 5 or 10 million dollars for. That would be a whole different ball game. These yes. are houses people need in a housing shortage. So Included. are we in a wh- you don't believe we're in a bubble. So let's well, let's unpack why we're not in a bubble in your mind.
2: Yes. Yeah, so what we're seeing today is that uh, COVID causes very interesting market change, right? Where all of a sudden, no one wanted to sell their homes because no one wanted to move during a global pandemic. So supply, y- you can say it stayed constant to slightly decrease. or just less existing home sales. So you have a case in which supply is not growing. And at the same time, demand started to spike. Why did demand spike? Well, because everyone was living in their studio apartment was you know, like, hey, you know, it'd be great if I bought a single family home that had a backyard, right? And someplace for me to actually spend some time outside. And so what we did was we actually saw um, demand go up. Now, this was even more impacted by the fact that people who would have typically sold actually had the opportunity to refinance, right? They refinanced their mortgages because rates were really low, which kept them in their houses even longer. So supply was even impacted more. So you have demand going up, supply going down, And the result of this is that home prices have started to rise, Hmm. right? And that is a lack of inventory. Now, how does that correct itself in the market? One, you can add more supply. I don't know how many folks, you know, realize, but like, it takes like five plus years to build a home, right? It just doesn't go up overnight. Why? Because the government puts in titling and you have to make sure that the-
0: (laughs) The NIMBY issues in some places.
2: Uh, Those, yes, but that's for affordable housing. But yes, 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 but. Point being that it just takes a long time for new build homes, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're not going to flood the market with supply suddenly. And given the way that work is moving to be more remote, I actually think that demand is going to only continue to sustain. So given that, I actually think that home prices are going to continue to increase. And I think that mm-hmm. we've entered just a fundamentally different time where remote work is going to be more acceptable Um, and that we were just undersupplied on single family homes, which by the way, was an issue even before COVID, but was exacerbated by COVID.
0: Is there an issue right now where people uh, are moving into a kind of YOLO moment, um, and they look at the house they're in, and they're going and buying a second house somewhere because they don't have to go to an office? And I'm talking about a slightly higher end of the market, but I think it's now becoming a trend where people are like, you know, I left Brooklyn, and I now have a place in Florida or Nashville, but I decided to not sell my place in Brooklyn or I was in San Francisco or Palo Alto, I'm going to keep my place there. But I moved to, you know, Park City because I want to ski and I I can. So are there a lot of people now where they're owning more than one home and not selling the original one? Because let's face it, if this is a better asset than the stock market is, which I think a lot of people feel this might be a better asset than the stock market, which feels bubbly. Now that's going to constrain supply even more. Is that a trend? Or is that just anecdotes that I'm seeing near me because I hang out with a certain group of people?
2: Uh, you definitely hang out with a certain group of people. Okay. I definitely don't know that as that area, the second home market as well, because uh, transparently our customers are struggling to buy their first home. Um, I think that if anything, Jason, that's more a factor of lower interest rates, Got right? It. If you could refinance out your Brooklyn apartment at two and a half percent, why sell it, right? I mean, that's right, pretty cheap, right, to be able to keep it. Now, if interest rates increase, you have a five one adjustable rate mortgage um interest rates increase in five years maybe that's something then that you would consider selling because if you were paying six percent on that on that mortgage even five percent on that mortgage right all of a sudden maybe you wouldn't be keeping it as easily
0: right because you wouldn't be able to rent it for as much as your carrying costs now you're screwed okay now you have uh folks like blackrock buying up thousands of homes reportedly um and sitting on them, maybe or renting. I'm not sure what they're actually doing. That's always existed, but it seems to be increasing. There was this big Wall Street Journal article about that. Mm-hmm. Is that reality? Um, yeah. And Is that causing problems? And if so, in which parts of the market?
2: Yeah, so we're seeing it, we call this like institutional investors. Uh we're seeing institutional buyers uh increase the pace at which they're buying assets why? Because there's no yield. You're not getting returns across the market. Mm-hmm. And so they're turning to actually homes which are one appreciating extremely fast, um but then two you can rent them out and still make a pretty good return versus what you can get on maybe a bond or some other asset class that you would put your money into. So we are seeing a massive influx of institutional capital into the single family rental market. Now, on the positive side, I think that for our customers, what's nice about that is when Divi goes to bid on a home, we're bidding on behalf of them. So we'll say, right. hey, Jason, we think we should bid $350,000 for this house. And you might say, hey, Dina, I actually know the market. It's really hot. I think you guys are bidding too low. Maybe we should mm. go to 355 dollars Or maybe you'll say, hey, you guys are bidding too high. Let's go to 345 dollars Now, we have a range that we, we allow. But within that range, we have a conversation. We decide on the bidding strategy, and we will go out and bid for you. Uh, you are going to get an all cash offer that's going to have generally anywhere from zero to five day due diligence period will close within two weeks for you. And you just became as competitive as Blackstone when Blackstone goes to bid. Right. So mm-hmm. what we do is we take the average consumer and we make it so that they can actually compete with the, the Blackrocks, Blackstones imitation homes of the world because we offer as competitive of an offer that they couldn't do even if they had a conventional mortgage.
0: Today, many small business owners are busier than ever since they're focused on managing and growing their business. They can't always spend the time they wish they could on recruiting and you're only as good as your team. I talk about that all the time on this podcast and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has made it easier to find and hire the best candidates for free. Get started by posting your job for free to reach LinkedIn's network of 700 40 million professionals. Oh my God, there's a lot of people on LinkedIn. Fill out targeted screening questions to get your role in front of the most qualified candidates with the experience, skills and motivation you need. Then, it's easy to filter and prioritize the top candidates you'd like to interview. We love LinkedIn jobs at launch and at Inside. We've hired a second producer, a curriculum designer, and a few more researchers we are crushing it. We're now 18 people here. I can't believe it. It used to be me and like three people. Every week, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn. If you've got a job, you're going to find those job seekers on LinkedIn, and they're going to find that right person for your role right now. Don't waste time. Post your first job for free. That's right, free. LinkedIn is so supportive of this podcast that they're going to let you post your first job for free to prove to you How amazing their product is that's how confident they are linkedin.com slash unicorn that's linkedin.com slash unicorn to post your first job listing for free of course terms and conditions do apply because they're giving you that free job posting my understanding is we're short seven million homes in the united states
2: i think the wall street journal had five and a half million from a couple weeks ago but seven million five it's the same yeah
0: okay let's let's put the difference six million Yeah, Uh, We build like 1.7 million a year or something in that range, my understanding, if I think I'm directionally correct. Uh, This makes no sense to me. Uh, Building homes is easy. We've been doing it for thousands of years as human beings. Uh, Why is this? Is is this a ridiculous gap or or is this just fun with numbers with different organizations who make them?
2: Well, the biggest issue is just regulation, Right. When you're building a community of homes, you can't just throw We you can't just buy the land and be like, we're going to throw up homes, right? Because what happens if there's a fire in that community and the fire trucks need to get through the road, right? They have to yeah. make sure that the the width of the streets are are perfectly and then you can't mess up the soil because you're going to impact the environmental issues that are going on. So to actually be able to build a community, while it doesn't take a tremendously long time to build an individual house, it does take a very long time to get the regulatory approval that you need. And in fact, it's probably the most, I don't actually know the exact step, but it's one of the most costly parts of actually building uh, single family homes is, uh, is actually just the regulatory aspect.
0: It absolutely seems to be that. And then, uh, there seems to be some dysfunction that we don't build them in factories. <laughs> like we literally build them. It's like building cars in people's driveways. It's so nuts that we do this bespoke over and over and over again in the rain for you know whatever we do six hours a day eight hours a day when you could run factories 24 hours a day i'm an investor in a company called blockable so i have mm. skin in this mm-hmm. game and horse yeah, noise if that. you know blockable mm-hmm. yeah um, and we're able to produce the homes so much faster and homes that last 100 years like yeah. the the quality levels you know 10 times it, it seems like part of the problem is the developers are building low quality stuff because they try to make a big margin then they flip it and they're not the owners of it, ultimately, so there's there's some issues around that as well. But um, tell me, is the supply problem getting worse, and will it get better? Like, in the early 80s or 90s, you know, did we have a massive housing shortage? Uh, have we ever not had a shortage?
2: Well, we definitely didn't have a shortage during the global financial crisis. We had a glut of homes. Now, those weren't new home builds. Those were existing homes yes. and resale, right? So what happened is, is we went through a global financial crisis, you can then go buy an existing home that used to be worth $300,000, you can now buy for $200,000, there's a cost to build a new build home, right? There's labor and there's materials, you can't generally build a new build home for her. if you're including labor, materials, cost of regulation, all of that stuff, maybe less than $250,000, it's just impossible. So at that point, builders really slow down. And if you speak to any of the home builders right after the recession, when there were all of these homes that were available was the worst time in the history for builders, right? All mm-hmm. of a sudden they're like, I- I'm not building anything, <laughs> right? Because and, there were so many homes that were available. And then all of a sudden that, that dynamic switched, right? All of a sudden, uh, there weren't existing homes that were selling for, you know, a third of what they, they had been a year prior. And all of a sudden home builders had to kind of press back on the gas again. So you're asking them to now restart the the fire and it just takes a long time it takes a long time to set the blueprints to actually build communities to get the approval to then start start taking off and um i imagine that we're not going to be having this conversation about a housing shortage in in five years from now because i think that the market will have rise sized by then but it's going to take a little while everyone's expecting that okay i want a ton more homes in 12 months it's just things don't move that quickly Hmm. five years perhaps i think the market might stabilize a bit more
0: yeah. During the financial crisis, I'm just looking at a chart here. I don't know if this is correct, but 10 million houses in inventory available. And then into 2020 down to 3 million available.
2: Yes. That doesn't uh, surprise me. We're we seeing- are at
0: a, since they've started recording the data for 30 years, we're at the lowest we've ever been in terms of the inventory.
2: Yes. And uh, there are two things to look at. It's new home builds and then existing home sales. Is that what and they call new-
0: starts? Is that what starts means in your industry?
2: Starts are are, are, um, are new builds.
0: Ah, God. Okay.
2: Yeah. Um, and so those are permits that are given out to actually um, to build new homes. So that's that's slightly different. Um, but in terms of just overall listings, you can look at it more a little bit. Maybe a cleaner way to look at it is just the number of homes that are listed for sale. And everyone looks at months of inventory. So if demand continues the way it is, how many months of inventory do we have? And what we're seeing across most of our markets is there's less than a month of inventory, Hmm. which a healthy market you're looking at or where we had been historically called five months, six months of inventory. Um, And so we are down to very low levels in comparison.
0: Yeah, I mean, just looking at this chart um, from uh, Stat artista i like that website i used to pay for a subscription to it i stopped paying but i probably should pay for it again it was too expensive it was like 300 a year um they have a really interesting chart of what we build by decades and if Mm -hmm. this is to be believed we were building 25 million a year until the 2010 to 2019 and then we only built 5.8 i guess during the crash nobody built for five years
2: exactly if you want to now we're paying that price yeah well, we're paying that price and why didn't they build? It? It's just because it was, when you looked, at, so everyone looks at how much homes are selling on a dollar per square foot basis, right? Mm. Um, and when you were looking at what the cost is to build, what the, the replacement value, how much does it cost to actually build this house from scratch yes. on a dollar per square foot basis? It costs more to build that house than it did to just buy an existing inventory. Right. And so it didn't make sense to be building at that point in time when you can buy cheaper than you could build. Now, why is it more expensive? To build than to buy well cost of labor, again, regulation and uh materials have gone up. So there's a certain level, again, you cannot build a normal three bedroom, two bathroom house in the suburbs for less than $250,000. Wow. Right. And so it's good when home prices are rising to the point that they're at, like call it an average home price in the US at around $250,000. New home builders can be competitive and they can create new homes that everyone loves, right? And they can sell it at that price. However, if you went back,
0: what is that price? Is it like $800 a square foot or something? Is there like a I, kind of I, zone? I think the
2: average, yeah, the, I don't know Because you have to take the land average, in and the build
0: cost, right? Because people say, oh, we build for, I've heard people say, oh, we build for like $200 to $600 a square foot in Texas. I
2: think the average is roughly about $100 a square foot. Average home is like, call it 2,500 square feet, maybe a little bit less than maybe 2,000 square Got feet it. or something like that. Um, and average home price, I think, is about two hundred fifty thousand dollars at this point in time
0: got it so two hundred fifty thousand, and that would be what size home then
2: well that's what it's selling at that's not your build cost right Right. so that would be like Mm. it sells at 100 dollars a square foot but maybe cost to build is like i don't actually know what their margin are but 60 to 80 uh, yeah interesting and they're they're making the spread on that and that's where their profit comes from
0: yeah and then we had this lumber uh inflation issue so my god it's such a dynamic crazy market with so many players. At this point, you've raised a couple of hundred million, is that right, for the company?
2: Yeah, yeah several hundred uh, million.
0: Several hundred million. Uh, that means you have a couple of hundred employees at this point? <laughs> How many people do Jason, you
2: Jason, I run a lean team here. Uh, we have about 130 employees.
0: Oh, wow. Wow. So that's super efficient. Uh, that's like an employee for every 100 homes or something. <laughs> um, just doing some, that's, a, that's what. If I was you, I'd be calculating how many employees do we have per home? It's
1: funny. How do funny. we get that number
0: up? <laughs>
2: well, I look at it a little bit more as like, um, I constantly say how much profit am I making per home and then mm. how many homes do I need to break even versus my headcount of marketing expense. Got it. So that's the ROI math that I'm constantly like. I'm like, how many homes mm-hmm. is my break even? How many homes is my break even until I right. can be cash flow positive?
0: How charming! Um, <laughs> you actually think about cash flow. This is your TPG uh, education. You, Mindset. You, you learned that eventually, like, what well, this is great line um, that Warren Buffett quotes, but it wasn't his quote, which is like, the markets are a voting machine, uh, and then eventually a weighing machine, <laughs> like mm. you know, prices and stocks, mm-hmm, and eventually, mm-hmm. like, it's yeah, what's the cash flow? Like, how much cash comes out of this business? Um uh and yeah, you know, you're obviously on the way. So uh what if you you were an investor for a while. I know you were at DFJ, you did some time at TPG, you went to Stanford, yes. yada yada. Congrats on the amazing track record there. Now you're Thank running you. a company and uh guess what? You're out of your Stanford and TPG DFJ bubble. Mm-hmm. Uh I'm assuming you weren't a founder before that. You you went the opposite way. So yeah. how was it actually jumping in the ocean rather than like flying over it? <laughs>
2: Well, I love being an operator. I worked at Square um, oh, okay. for, for a bit. And I was a product manager there. And I I love being an operator. Um, I'm a worker bee, like through and through. Um, so I actually thought investing and sitting on the sidelines was um, was just sad. you were watching all these people make these amazing impacts in the world. We you yeah. were just like, I want to be in the game, you know? Yeah. And so I, I think, look, both need to be part of the ecosystem. For me, though, being in the game is really fun. I'd say I never thought of myself as a C- CEO. So when we founded Divi, I was actually not the original CEO. Why,
0: Why did you think you were a CEO? Curious.
2: Well, my co-founder was originally the CEO and I was the COO. And then um, as we needed to raise more capital, I was pretty good at fundraising. And, so that, and then I ended up moving into the CEO role. And I always just thought that in Silicon Valley, CEOs had to be like, Elon Musk, like visionary, like we're going to Mars, like big Mm -hmm. picture and not me. To me, I was a worker bee. Like I did my models. I was very organized. Mm -hmm. I was diligent. I prepared for like my slides for every meeting. I did not think that was the stuff of a CEO. I thought I had to be a bigger picture thinker. And what's actually amazing is having founded Divi now, I realized that there's a lot of different types of CEOs at different points in time. The person who I was for the last three years, founding Divi is not the person I'm going to be for the next three years. And there is no right or wrong, but more of the right fit for the company at a particular time.
0: And also, there's a bit of a misperception in what you said, which is like, oh, Elon is like this incredible visionary, which of course is true. But people forget he's a world-class engineer physicist who actually knows how to do engineering. <laughs> And rockets and like he's understands metal science and that kind of stuff so it actually turns out that a lot of times it's like you know zuck was a developer i don't consider Zuck visionary i consider him a copying machine but even like you know steve jobs was actually a designer at at his core i think he understood user design so Mm -hmm. i think we there's a little mythology of the visionary thing that gets oversold yeah and it actually turns out that a lot of the visionaries have a skill stack that is Pretty intense, you know, mm. uh, and, and multifaceted in many cases. So that's, that's, that's fascinating. I, it is intense though. You have to work 80, 90, 100 hours a week to do what you're doing.
2: Uh, yeah, but that doesn't, I, how many hours you work? Private-
0: I'm just trying to like send a message to the audience. because oh, uh, There's this new thing where people are a lot. You work every day, obviously. You do a little I, bit of work on the weekends.
2: So I work not, yes, I work not but I worked in banking and private equity. So 120 hour work weeks is like, Kind of just what I've been doing for the la- the last like 15 Are you a 20 years or a Gen of my life. Uh, I'm 34. What does that make me? A millennial? I think you're still. on
0: the bubble, probably a millennial.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, so you're I, close
0: to Gen gen X, I think you're millennial. Yeah. For sure. You're millennial.
2: Yeah. And I, uh, look, I wake up at 6 a.m. I like log on at that point in time. I always take time off to work out and like make sure I'm keeping the right balance and mental stability. And, um, but I'll be on my, my computer on and off until nine ten p.m. at night. And, Look, that's the
0: level to do what you're doing you are in a highly competitive space you with don't black want rocking. to
2: do anything else that's the thing when you found a company and it's your baby right like, that is all you want to do you're in the shower you're Correct. thinking about your company you're going for a run of course about your company. you're with your another. it's your company <laughs> no it's <laughs> just there's it like goes.
0: anti-hustle culture and the socialism and people shouldn't have to work hard and you know i, I don't know if you saw but like there was a revolt at Goldman with the Gen Z folks. Did you see
2: that? <laughs> yes.
0: How yes. hard did you laugh at that? Where <laughs> they said they don't want to work on the weekends.
2: <laughs> I know. I'm like, good for you guys. More chutzpah than I have, because I just worked my butt off all weekend and never questioned it. <laughs> but
0: and it I is think a different they're mentality. Gonna, are they gonna win that
2: battle? Uh I mean, I today know. it's so different. To me, it's not. You have to work hard, but you also have to figure out how you keep yourself sane. Right, mm-hmm. And for you, Jason, maybe like you wake up and you log on, I don't know, 5, 6 a.m. And maybe you take a break at 7 a.m. to be with your kids and have breakfast, right? Yeah. And I go for my run, right? That doesn't mean you don't work hard. It means that you have to like, I ruthlessly plan my I weeks. was about
0: to use the word ruthless time management.
2: Yes. like Anybody I who's successful
0: is ruthless.
2: Block off my calendar. Like literally going for runs is blocked off on my calendar. Every minute is packed. Yes. Um, but I think that it just comes down to knowing... What you need to get done to keep yourself in the right condition to be able to execute on a really big business, right? And Mm. planning it out consistently every week.
0: So, yeah, I guess Goldman Sachs CEO David Solomon told employees he won't enforce the Saturday rule. He will or won't? He will. Good. Which means employees cannot work from 9 p.m. Friday to 9 a.m. Sunday except in special circumstances. If I was working there, I would make a point to be there. I would be getting sushi mm-hmm. at 10 p.m. and I would stay through until the next morning just to <laughs> just to break the rule because that's a test. <laughs> David Solomon is testing all these Gen Z people. And if you believe him, you are dumb and you failed the you test know- and you're not getting to partner dummies. Well,
2: you know, some poor analyst is listening to you right now. Jason being like, oh, my God, I'm home. And now I need to get into the office. Absolutely. If you're in
0: New York, we're taping this like you need to immediately get on a city bike and get into the office and literally be there on Saturday. It's a test. He's checking the badges. And when you checked in and out you people are
2: dumb i pray to god david solomon is not doing something like that of
0: course he is he He wants to know who is going to be i had people work for me who wanted to go home at 4 30 or 5 and i was like for some twisted reason i allowed it for some period of time and then i was like wait a second if we're all going home at 4 30 or 5 30 we're gonna lose deals to other people this is a if you're in finance it is a twenty four seven day a week job if you want to win
2: deals yeah, I mean, period. I would probably argue differently where I'd say you can go home at 4.30 or 5 p.m. Just get your work done. Get the results. Well, I give you but KPIs, if you log off, you get, you as get the results.
0: At a, at a partner at a firm? Uh.
2: Get the results that I'm setting up for you. And I think that's how I kind of run Divi is like there are KPIs, mm-hmm. there are things we need to do. You oh, you're do talking it on for what, your rank and file. Yeah, exactly. Do it on mm-hmm. on whatever time you yeah, need to okay. do or however you want to schedule your life. And if the results aren't good, then maybe we're going to do it my way. Right. But until then... I OK trust you. that's
0: fine. I, I I the way I look at it is founder emails at nine p m six p m. and we don't get back to them within an hour.
2: Mm. and then
0: other firms do. Mm. that's fair. You are yeah. in
2: a, a little bit more, yes, you're very time yeah. sensitive. and yes, you work for the founder too, on their time absolutely.
0: Kind of. <laughs> well, I mean, think about it. you had a bunch of investors in your company. If you emailed five of them and said, "Hey, I'm dealing with the situation." you know what time they, re- you know their response time. The, the bottom person doesn't respond and they forget and you write them off. The bottom two respond the next day or next week and the first two respond within minutes. Yes.
2: No, our investors are the, the same way.
0: Who gets the next round?
1: <laughs>
0: who that gets the next round? Who gets super pro rata?
2: That, uh, that is a good question. Uh, I actually just find that it's, it's about just showing that you care as an investor. Mm. That you're a cheerleader and that you're there through thick and thin.
0: Enthusiasm.
2: That is it, which is like, you may have your views on the market is overheated, that valuations are crazy, but you better like go to bat for Divi, right? And for the company and being the cheerleader is kind of, look, it's a hard game. Starting a company is hard. Yeah. It's Uh, it's emotionally tiring. It sucks. Like it is your entire life. It is stressful. It is draining. And you want to surround yourself with... And most (laughs) fail. (laughs) And most fail. (laughs) <laughs> and so for the ones who don't, like, mm. and that you're there through the long run, be the mm. biggest cheerleader the entire way.
0: I mean, literally, people are like, how do you have such great deal flow? Whatever. It's like, I have a podcast. I bring people on it, and I'm enthused about what they're working on, knowing that one, 20, for every team that wins the championship, 29 do not. Yeah. Is the nature of the NBA. You have to be fired up with enthusiasm, or you're going to be fired with enthusiasm. <laughs>
2: That is a good line. I like that quote. I might use it at some point. Absolutely.
0: All right. Listen, it's a pleasure to meet you. Congratulations on your massive success. What you're doing is just super cool, and you're a great interview, man. You know your numbers, like good interview. I have to say, (laughs) like I was like, huh, maybe this is gonna be a little boring. Housing, mortgages, whatever. But you brought you brought it. Definitely. Let's. I think hey, team on the line. Can we can we book her for a year from now and get an update? You're you're like an Insta book your insta book <laughs> i know like keith and boys like an insta book
1: <laughs> i got some people like when
0: i had we used to have chamath on the pod I'd like get this guy back on um, just book it now please
2: don't put me in the category with keith and chamath while they're both wonderful and brilliant people i like to think that i uh, i'm a little tamer than they are for sure <laughs> come on i'm not well, sending to, crazy tweets
0: you're not saying you're not sending crazy tweets you're not doing thirst traps on your twitter <laughs> like chamath or actually now that I think about it they're both thirst tweet like if I think about Raboy with this uh Barry's boot camp Oh
2: my god yes yeah, but honestly, these, these are both thirst traps great shape good he's for diesel. him
0: That kid's yeah. diesel
2: I mean Yeah he's, I know I'm he was, like scared yeah, we're to playing take his basketball,
0: basketball. I was like oh I'd love to run with you he's like yeah I don't think you could and I was like what? <laughs> <laughs> he built a basketball court and he's like yeah I kind of I play basketball these like 19 to 22 year old guys so I'm like how old are you he's you know late 40s or something he's running basketball games with 20 early people in their early 20s i'm like man that's crazy you don't get injured no of course not
2: that's amazing
0: you're hiring obviously uh so you want people who will work 24 7 no excuses saturdays i get it no get get your work done who
2: care about the mission that's Ah, actually the the number one thing is you got to care about our customers in and out
0: because why is this this lesson so important to you
2: well because one uh they're they're paying us right they're right. they're our customers they are everything no but to why us. is the
0: hiring why is the top of your list that enthusiasm and the mission like because what have you learned this,
2: because this shit's hard because yeah. it's hard to found a company and the yeah. way that you get up every day is not for your future equity that's going to be worth millions maybe hundreds of millions of dollars but actually you get up every day and you deal with a lower salary and cash because you care about what the heck you're doing And that keeps you there for the next five to seven, 10 years until, you know, there's a liquidity event. And you've got to love it. Love the people you work with. Love the people you serve. Enjoy what you're doing every day.
0: If I could do 100 emoji right now, I would do like five 100 emojis, (laughs) uh, but we're not in Slack. (laughs) Continue success. We'll see you all next time on This Week of Startups. Bye-bye.